Good morning. How are you all today? Are you all well? Blessed? Amen. This is a, an awesome day because this really is, is, is one of the foundation days. It's one of the foundation events of our faith. Um, without what happened, strictly speaking, without what happened, the death of the cross of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't have the life that we have. We wouldn't have the salvation we have. Everything that we are is defined by that one event, strictly speaking. Death on the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So this morning, I just want to take some time just to, to, to talk around that. And just, I'm sure we've all heard many, many discussions around Easter and what Jesus has done for us. And I think, you know what, it's, it's, it's one of these stories that never grows old. And it's, it's a, like I said, it's the foundation of our faith. It's a cornerstone event. This morning, I'm going to talk about looking to Jesus and keeping our eyes on Jesus. And what does it mean in terms of looking to Jesus? So let's turn quick to John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was also a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he was convinced Jesus was sent by God, that he's a teacher, that he's here to spread God's word. And the signs and the miracles and the wonders that followed Jesus convinced him of this. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Now, this is quite interesting because Jesus is challenging a Pharisee, one of the respected leaders in the community who is very upright, very devout, who's serving God in the best way he knows how. And Jesus says, you're not going to get into the kingdom unless you are born again. And he's challenging him and he's saying this to him. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So he's challenging him here a bit more, just pushing him a bit harder and saying, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And he's laying it out there. He's saying, No, I'm not just the teacher. The Son of Man come down from heaven. I've been there. I know what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. Listen up. And he goes on to say, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So let me say that again. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Then he goes on to the scripture we all know and we're all familiar with. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So, if we look at this, this, this passage of Scripture, it's quite interesting that Jesus makes a reference back to the events with Moses and, and the golden snake. And we're going to just go into some detail on that. But 
Now, when I think about that scripture, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, it's such a, a great gift. Um, and just for a moment, just think about this. If, if I look around, a lot of us here are parents who have kids. I've got three wonderful kids, mostly wonderful except when they're fighting, <laughs> which is more often than not. But anyway, <laughs> it's such as brothers are born to strife. Eh? So who, who here has a parent? Who here has a son or a daughter? So imagine if... If, if I came to you and I said, all the trouble of the world, all the pain, all the anguish, all the suffering, all the poverty, all the sickness, all the disease could be taken away. If you pick one of your kids, just pick one, not two or three, just give me, give one. We bring them out here and we kill them. Just <laughs> imagine that for a second. Imagine if I said that to you, give up your child and there'll be peace in this country. There'll be no more issues, no more politics, no more worries, no more crime, no more murder. Who of us would be able to do that? I, I wouldn't. <laughs> more so, God, he, he gave his son, and not only just gave his son, while we were still sinners, while we didn't believe, while we hadn't yet accepted the gift of God, this wonderful grace, he gave. And he gave his son not just to die, but to... To, 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 to be humiliated, to carry all our sins, past, present, future, the sins you're going to do tomorrow, the sins you're going to do next year, all of them lumped up, pulled out of time, taken to that one event and stuck on Jesus' back. And he became sin and became dirty for us. Can we do that with our kids? Not even knowing, not even certain that the people of this country, this land, this world would accept that gift that they would embrace that gift and they would say, you know what, I, I choose to take that gift and live sin-free. I choose to take that gift and live healthy. I choose to take that gift and, and be free of sickness. Who of us could do that? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. Not, 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 <laughs> not in a hundred years, not in a million years. And that's what God did for us. It's, it's just such an awesome thing that if you think about it, from the days of Moses, when that snake was put up, and we're going to go talk about that now. Back then, the plan was in place that Jesus was going to die. He was going to come down to the cross, going to put himself up there, and he's going to carry all the sins and the pains of the world on his shoulders. Back then, the plan was there. All well known, laid out for us. So if you can turn with me quick, we're going to go look at that in a little bit more detail now. If you can go to Numbers 21. Numbers 21, we're going to go there quick and talk about this, this type of event that was prophetic, that was signaling what was to come, that gave a taste. And there's many of these patterns through the Bible, by the way. And that's a funny thing about, about the Bible. And it, what makes it also very, very unique is that this entire scripture from cover to cover, there's, there's not multiple stories. There's not multiple books with multiple authors and different periods in time that are all disconnected and disjointed. There's a common story that starts in Genesis 1 verse 1 and it finishes on the last verse of Revelations. It's a common thread about God's gift of grace to man. God wanting us to be restored. God wanting us to be united back with Him, but at the same time still giving us that choice. Numbers 21, 4, goes on to say, Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea. 
Now, in the, in, the, in the chapters, in the verses just before, they just had a major victory over the Canaanites. They'd had some big battles, and the Canaanites had come through and had attacked them, and they'd gone and attacked them back, and they'd won a major victory. So now, after doing this major victory and beating off the enemy, and, you know, and this is after a couple of years also of walking in the desert and um, experiencing God's blessing and God's favor, they took the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people grew impatient with the long journey. Why, why are we going around the land of Edom? Why can't we just go through the land of Edom? And they began to speak against God and Moses. They said, why, why have you brought us out from Egypt? Only just to die here in this desert, in this wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here. There's nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manner. This thing that's every day it's here and it's just, we hate it now. We're tired of it, we're bored of it, we, uh, we hate this thing. Now, God had shown so many blessings to the Israelites and so many miracles, water from the rocks. And every time, wow, fantastic, we saved out of Israel, the plagues and crossing the Red Sea and he slugged the Pharaoh's army and so many miracles along the way. He kept showing himself and proving himself to them. And still, every time they'd go into the cycle of moaning and groaning. And God, you've left us out here. Why did you bring us to this ocean, Moses? Has Pharaoh's soldiers come and we're going to die? They cross the ocean and they live. Next point, they get into a fight again. They're moaning about moaning, and the earth opens up and swallows a whole bunch of people, then they stop moaning. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's not a good thing to moan. <laughs> but they still don't learn the lesson. So what happens here? So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. Again, sad. <laughs> What's interesting here, at this point in time, there's probably about a million-odd people in the, in the land of yeah, just outside the gates of Edom, they're waiting to, to do their little march. And, and I can't imagine that all million came to moan at Moses. It was probably just a couple of the more elders, you know, the older types, the leaders within the tribes, the heads of the homes, because you can't have a million people all chatting at one time. And God sent poisonous snakes amongst all the people, and they were bitten. And some died, many died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, verse 7. We have sinned by speaking against the Lord. Now it, it like dawned on them. We've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. It's quite interesting, they, they came and they said, Moses, please pray to God and let him take away the snakes. Please, just take, take this thing away from us. And God didn't take the snakes away. The snakes stayed. Um, one, of, one of the interpretations of Scripture talks about fiery snakes. Like, so the implication is that it wasn't just a bite and you died. It was a bite and it burnt and it was really, really sore, and then you died. So they said, please, Moses, pray to God and take these snakes away. You know, we're sorry, we sinned, we sinned against you, we sinned against you, take these snakes away. And what, God, what did God say? God said, make a replica snake, put it on a wooden stick, put it up there, and that everyone who's bitten by the snake, anyone who's in pain, who's about to die, let them look at that golden snake, and they will live. Okay, very, very interesting. He didn't take the snakes away. They still... With a bit of pain, but they, they lived. <laughs> Sad for the ones that died before that, but they lived. 
So the story is quite interesting because they wanted to go march to Edom, and they'd just beaten the Canaanites, just beaten them, and killed a few of them, and they got their way. And now Edom was in front of them, and they're like, no, we want a shortcut to the Red Ocean. Let us just go, and if they want to fight with us. What had happened in the preceding scriptures, Moses had sent word to, to the Edomites. Now, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And he said, guys, brothers, sisters, we're actually part of the same extended family, cousins, and my cousin. <laughs> Let us come through here so we don't go all the way around. We just want to get to the Red Sea. Now, now, it's also interesting. They were going to the Red Sea, which is on the other side of Edom, where that side was the promised land, Canaan. So once again... They're walking away from Canaan. They want to go back to the Red Sea because God's still taking them on this journey. They haven't learned. They haven't learned from their mistakes. And the, the guys that are in Edom, the Edomites, um, the, the descendants of Esau were like, no, not a chance. You're not coming through here. We're not letting you come through here. You take your people, you go around there, and you walk the other side, go around the mountains, you're not coming through here. And Moses sent emissaries again. He said, listen, you know, we'll pay you. If we eat of your fields, we'll pay you. If we drink of your water, we'll pay you. You know, we, we won't touch anything. We'll just stay on this road and we'll walk through Edom. And then the king of Edom sent an army. And he said, okay, no, no chance you're going to come through here. Here's my army. Now Moses in Deuteronomy had, had been told by God in, in Deuteronomy 2. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but it's, if, you, if you want to, for reference sake, you can look it up. Deuteronomy 2 verses 4 to 5. And he was telling the story, and he was saying, you know, before we even got there, God told me that, that our cousins are going to be upset with us, and they're going to be scared, and they're going to be worried, and we need to be careful. We need to be cognizant of these emotions and what's going to go on there. And we're not allowed to kill any of them. They're our family. They share in our inheritance. They share in our blessing. We're not allowed to touch them. We're not allowed to hurt them. And in any way, any piece of the land that they've been given is not one square meter of that for us. God's told him this, and he told this, and he relayed this to the people of Israel. And they still came, and they're like, no, nah. at this, you know, a few months of walking later, you know, and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, we want to go through Edom. We've just killed the Canaanites. If they want to come, God was with us, and we'll kill the Edomites. So, first of all, there was disobedience. There was disobedience, because God had said, you're not going to kill your cousins. You're not going to. If they let you go there peacefully, great. But you're not going to kill them. You're not going to touch them. You're not going to hurt them. You're not going to take anything that's not yours there. And they were arrogant. No, let's go through. We are tired. We don't want to walk this. Lazy. Too lazy to do the walk. They've been walking for years and years and years, and they're walking in the wrong direction. <laughs> and Nochal, they want to be <laughs> lazy about it. So God, God said, I'm giving you this promised land. <laughs> And they get close and they moan and they get taken around the mountain again. And they moan and they moan and some of them die. Some of them get swallowed up. They get back there. Oh, the giants! <laughs> back. <laughs> around. Okay. And God sent snakes. And they all got bitten. And a whole bunch of them died. So, if we look at the story, um, it, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting thing. You know, again, it's, it's man's sinful nature doing their own thing, disobedient to God. And what does God do? He says to Moses, put up the golden snake. Put it up there. That thing that represents the sin and this evil because the snake is never in, in symbolic nature in the Bible ever represented anything good. It's never ever been like, you will be blessed like the snake. <laughs> you will be powerful like... No, it's never. 
the snake was cursed. And, and the snake represents sin. Um, the snake represents evil, the devil. And he said, put that up there on, the, on that wooden stick. Raise it up high. Elevate it. So that everyone, I mean, there's a million people, okay? Plus minus. All being bitten. I mean, in the middle of the desert, you find enough snakes to go chasing a million people around. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. Um, my wife grew up in Durban. I grew up in Durban. And every time I'd go visit her in Bothers Hill, there was always a dead snake somewhere. Because every time something would pop out the grass there, the garden would be, boy, cup it. <laughs> Head gone. No. So I could imagine there would be a whole bunch of dead, headless snakes. But there was still enough biting these million people, killing them. It was a lot of snakes in the middle of the desert. This was a supernatural thing. This was a God thing to the people of Israel again to say, listen, you haven't learned. Let's teach you again. Let's take you through this lesson once more. And what was the lesson? The lesson was that they needed to fix their eyes on the golden snake. It would still be bitten. They still... Their sin, their pain would still hurt them. <laughs> but fix the eyes on that golden snake and they would live. They would be healed. So, there's five things in the story that's quite interesting. Just five points. And I'm going to just quickly summarize the points. And then we're going to go drill down into the points so that we know where we're going. <laughs> okay. So the first point is that because of sin, all people are under the curse of death. That's the first point. Because of sin, all people are under the curse of death. That's what the story is telling us. It's highlighting as a, as a shadow. of. Point number two, God has graciously provided the remedy for that curse. It was God who provided the remedy for that curse. Point number three, that remedy had to be lifted up so all could see, raised up. Point four, the only thing that cursed people have to do to be healed is to simply look at God's remedy. To focus their eyes in faith on God's remedy. And they were healed. Point five, the result or the outcome of their looking at the remedy was that they received life. So these five things are, if you think about this in a bit more detail, it's really what the event of the cross was about. That we've all sinned. We're all under the curse of death. God has provided this remedy, Jesus Christ, for us. He was raised up for us all to see. And the only thing that we had to do was just look at him, accept him. And the gift of this was that we could live. So just going to drill into some more detail now on these points. So the Israelites were there, as I mentioned. It's 40 years in the desert. It's 40, I mean, the, the distance, the travel from Egypt to the land of Canaan, they could have probably done, even with stopping for tea and coffee and whatever, they probably could have done that in less than a month of walking. Easy. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And only there because they did not learn the lesson. If they'd learned the lesson, they would have been in the promised land quick, quick. A month later. In fact, most of the people that exited Egypt died. <laughs> most of them died. I mean, not even Moses got to enter the promised land. Most of them died. It was Joshua and it was Caleb. They were the only two, <laughs> end of the day, that survived to get into the promised land. So that's, a, that's an awful curse if you think about it, this thing of sin. You know, this, this thing of death that, that, we, that we, we embrace, we choose, we, 
We take it on ourselves because actually, strictly speaking, God has taken this curse away. But a lot of times, you know, man holds on to this curse and this plague. And despite what the Israelites had seen, the faithfulness of God time and time again, the pillar of fire by night and smoke by day and the Red Sea opening and the soldiers being swallowed up and the birds coming when they were hungry and the manna on the ground. Every day there was manna they could eat. Imagine if I told you every single day you could open your fridge and there's just enough food, breakfast, lunch, supper for you for the day. And you close the fridge, empty it at night and you wake up in the morning and there's food again in the fridge. But it was always Kellogg's cornflakes breakfast and it was always I don't know, eggs and a little bit of meat for lunch and dinner was spaghetti and every day <laughs> I mean many of us you know, just have a fridge of food every, we'd be like wow you know. I mean think about South Africa and 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 and, and the poverty we we'd be like the majority of the people in this country would be like wow and after a year two years Kellogg's every morning. Uh, eggs every morning. Uh, lunch. Oh, I'm sick of eggs. Spaghetti. Uh, you got a full stomach. You're living. You're alive. You're healthy. You're well. Uh, uh, this, uh, uh, God. You know, when I was 20, you, you told me we're gonna uh, and you pissed me up. But now nah, I want something else. I want something. Uh, we never ever satisfied. We're always wanting. We're wanting more. We're wanting to. And God provides all of our needs. According to his riches and glory, he's provided all of our needs. And sometimes, you know, when we do this complaining and this, and this moaning to God, yeah, it's actually not a bad thing to complain to God. You know, we look at our country and we say, God, this rand, the petrol price. You know, please do something about it. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing to go to God and to take our problems and, 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 and say, Lord, I'm leaving it with you. Please fix this. You know? The Israelites didn't do this. They didn't come to Moses and say, yeah, please, can we just, I know it's manna every day, but can we get something else? Can you ask God to? No. Oh, this manna, we're sick of, we tired of, oh, God is just hungry, hungry. Oh. They just moaned, and they rebelled in their hearts, and they sinned against God by doing that. So we've got to be very careful when, we, when we're in that place, when we're in that desert and in that wilderness, that we're not, we're not losing our heart. We're not losing our heart to God. That we're not in our frustration and our cry out to Him to fix whatever situation we're in. That we're not actually starting to get a hard heart. We're not starting to rebel. Because like what happened with, with the Israelites, you know, it's, it's not nice when these snakes come your way. And the, the interesting thing though is, is that if we think about this thing of sin, you know, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans is very clear about that. Romans uh, 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, another scripture for you. The wages of sin is death. So this thing of sin, it's, it's something that's, that's there. And it's because of this thing of sin that this curse of death is there. And, and Jesus looked at Nicodemus, who was this really holy man, and he said, you're not going to get into heaven. You're you might be doing all the good things. You're not going to get into heaven unless you are born again. Unless you are born of spirit and of water. You're not going to see the kingdom of God as good as you are. 
as knowledgeable as you are about the things of the world and, and the ways of, of how you're working, you're not going to get that unless you can take this thing that you're carrying, this sin, and pass it on. You've got to be born again for that. So, he was a sinner. He needed a savior, Nicodemus. He needed a new birth, and his good deeds were no cure for the snake bite. The snake bite that was there results in sin. And what's interesting, again, uh, just a contrast, you know, we, we, we look at this thing and we say, yeah, but God is love. God loves us. Why would, why would he let us die? Why would he? Uh, oh, God loves us. That's why he's given us an, an option. That's why he's paid the price. We'll get there. So God has given us an option to get rid of this. So, and that's why he loves us. He's given us the way out. And if we look at, and I want to just digress quick to Genesis. If we jump to Genesis quick. This thing of sin, I just want to just dwell on it just a little bit more about how it entered. You know, and, and some of the things that we gave up, some of the things that we lost. If we jump to Genesis 2, verse 7 to 9, it says here, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So when God made us, he made us perfect. He made us spotless. He made us without blemish. He made us perfect. And he breathed his own life into us. He put man in the Garden of Eden. And there he placed man that he had made. And the Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then going on further to, to verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him. And this is the warning he gave. He said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Now, every tree. Now, there's, there's beautiful, delicious trees he planted, and there was the tree of life in the middle and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you may eat of any tree, including the tree of life, any tree, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay. So he said, eat of everything, go wild. There it is, all this beautiful fruit, you can sustain yourself. Just one tree, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And later on, in chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. And he, he came one day and he asked the woman, because Eve had been made, and he said, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees of the, of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, interesting. She said, if you touch it, God never said if you touch it. God said, don't eat of it. So she wasn't informed necessarily properly. <laughs> But Adam had like, like, not just don't eat it, but don't even touch it. Just stay away. <laughs> and the, the serpent goes on to say, it's, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So he says to you, your eyes will be opened, and you will know good and evil. So she was convinced. She then saw with her eyes, that the tree was beautiful, and she looked at the fruit. 
It looked delicious. So she was told, you can eat of it and you will have your eyes opened. And she looked at the tree. So all oh, this actually looks delicious. She saw it was beautiful with the eyes. Then she went and she ate some of that tree. She, she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now interesting, he was with her when she was looking at the fruit. Just by the way. So whenever we, as guys, we want to blame Eve. Adam was with her. He didn't correct her. He didn't stop her. He was with her. Just, just, just by the way. So we carry some of the blame. But at that moment, when they ate the fruit, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Suddenly it's like they, there was a veil. They couldn't see. They, couldn't, they were innocent. They, and they looked at the fruit. She looked at the fruits and it was delicious. And she said, oh, I want to eat of it and look good. And then as she ate of it, this just, her eyes were opened. His eyes were opened. And they, they suddenly had this knowledge of good and evil. And they looked and they're like, oh, we're naked. And what did they do? They went and hid. And later on, God comes and he's like, well, Adam, where are you? And he's walking in the still of the garden. Now, very interesting. God walked in the garden. Later on in scriptures, you know, God wouldn't show himself to man. Couldn't see his face. Holy, we would die. Moses had to turn his back and hide in a crevice and the glory of God passed by. And it was so intense and so strong that when he came down off the mountain, his face was shining. Okay. So God was walking in the garden and, and he's like, Adam, where are you? And Adam's like, oh, we, we're here, we're naked. He's like, oh, are you, did you eat of that tree? But I told you, now God, come on guys, God knows. The beginning, the end, he knows everything. He Put that there to give Adam and Eve a choice. God never forces us to do anything. He put that there to give them a choice. And they made their choice. They wanted to know what was good, what was evil. They wanted to. What did the devil say? The serpent? You'll be like God. You'll have that knowledge. It was like the original sin that Lucifer wanted to be like God and he got thrown out of heaven. We got hit with the original sin. <laughs> Pride. Very interesting. And through Adam, and through that act, in Romans 5 verses 12, if we go there quick, that one act, that one simple thing of, of eating the fruit, that one simple delicious fruit that looked so good, and he could have eaten the purple or the nachi, or the apple, or the tree of life, that would have been good. He ate, and she ate, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verses tw 5. Chapter uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Adam ate, Eve ate of the fruit. But all of us inherited the sin. It's in our bloodline. It's in our DNA. It's in everything we are. It's in our fabric. It's, in our, it's there. That's why we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we were all under that curse of death. Point two, God graciously provided the remedy for this curse. They could have, the Israelites could have tried. They could have tried medicine. They could have tried, they could have tried hitting the snakes. They could have tried all sorts of things. Grab some leaves, run it, just suck it out, whatever. And they were dying. They kept dying. And they came to Moses and they said, please, can you do something? Can you intercede? Can you make these snakes go away? And God didn't make the snakes go away. He provided a cure. He provided a cure. The sin hasn't gone away. The temptation hasn't gone away. 
Wouldn't it have been easy if, if God had just taken the devil, locked him up, taken the demons, locked them up, when Jesus was down there in hell after dying for us? Imagine how great it would be. Imagine. It would be so cool. No, no worries, no pain, no temptation, no sin, no challenges. No. What did it mean? No, he didn't do that. He left the snakes. Why? So that we can look at the solution, which is Jesus. Because without, we won't be looking at Jesus. We need that life that he brings. We need that freedom that he brings. We need that, that gift, that salvation that's come through that. So God graciously provided the way. His son, he sends him. John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever might believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So God provided this remedy for us. Like the, the golden snake that Moses put up there, Jesus was that remedy for us. To free us from this death of the snake. Not the bite, not the pain, but the death. Interesting thing about this remedy, it's a supernatural remedy. It came from God. It wasn't to take a thing and crush a thing and then Moses or hit a stone and some magic medicine will come out and go drink the medicine. No, it was, it was a supernatural remedy. And Jesus is a supernatural remedy. He's not this, try this and two steps to that and seven steps to this and then suddenly you're free from sin and you're free from death. No, he's a supernatural remedy, gift from God, sent down virgin birth, spirit of God to earth, supernaturally, supernaturally born. Everything he did was supernatural. His miracles, his time, his, 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 his teachings. He'd walk around and blind people would see and deaf would hear and the dead would be raised. Everything about him was supernatural. It's also interesting that this remedy was a sufficient remedy. It wasn't a thing of, okay, you know, you, 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 some people will, will be well and then others might need to go and wash after they've looked at the snake and others will need to go take two aspirin and then they, it was complete. You just had to look at the golden snake. Just accept it. And your remedy came. And Jesus is the complete remedy for sin. He's a complete remedy for the death that comes with that. It's not accept Jesus and then say five Hail Marys and whip yourself on the back and walk around the, you know, the church seven times a day. And It's not. It's just Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's, it's all complete. Boom. That's why the work of the cross is a complete work. It wasn't a Jesus died on the cross and then something else had to happen. And it was no. That's why he said it is finished. And then he died. It wasn't part one. <laughs> it's finished. It's complete. The work is done. And, 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 and that solution is a complete solution for the, for the death that comes with sin. It's not a partial solution. It's, not a, it's a complete solution. It was also a sure and certain remedy. Everybody in Israel who looked and saw the snake was healed. Not some, not the guys with blue eyes or the ladies. Everybody who looked was saved. It's a complete, everyone who looks at Jesus and accepts that remedy is saved. Not some, not this rich man or that poor man only or this pink, white, yellow. No, it's for everybody. The gift of Jesus the salvation is for us all. It's, it's a complete package. There's no upgrade. There's no 
it's complete. And it's not for if you only have compact, it's, it's a complete, you get everything, you get all the channels. <laughs> I don't have DSTV by the way, but <laughs> if you have DSTV you'll know what I mean. It's a complete gift. And the other thing is it was a simple gift. You didn't have to have this whole complex thing and, and, and then look. It, it was a simple, just look. The, the, the gift of salvation is simple. There's nothing complex about it. It's just accept that Jesus Christ is Lord. God raised him and you're saved. It's simple. It's not, you don't have to go to university to study. You don't have to read through a theology dictionary to understand the gift of God. You don't even need to understand all the intricacies of the, and, and, and the, the times and the types and the prophecies and Isaiah. And, ah, just accept Jesus. The thief on the cross, he was next to Jesus. And he'd murdered and he'd killed and he was there. He'd done all. The, and he, he said to the other guy who was mocking, he said, just, yeah, he's, he's a Messiah, he's a big man. And Jesus just looked at him and said, accept it. <laughs> you get it. Guess what? Tonight you will be with me in paradise. You didn't have to climb off the cross and go give back everything to the people he stole from and, and go and fix this. And it was a simple thing. He just had to accept. And he was saved. And I know for some of us it might be hard to swallow. <laughs> Especially some of us who've worked so hard all of our lives and we've done so much good and we've, done, and we've walked this path and we don't have a testimony. You know, <laughs> we often talk about that myself and my wife. You know, we don't have this testimony. I wasn't a gangster. I never, I don't have a testimony, you know. And why is, no, the, the, when, when, when the master went into the field and he said, I need workers to come. And some came in the morning and some came in the afternoon and some came just before closing time. The gates are about to close and they walked in and they picked one grape. <laughs> they all got the same wage. You know what? Guys, we all get the same wage. It's the gift of God. It's complete. It's simple. We just, nothing complex, no special things we need to do. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what God has given us through the gift of his son. Third point, the remedy must be lifted up. That golden snake was lifted up for all to see. It was put up on a public display. Everyone could see it. And Jesus talked about this. He said in John chapter 8, verses 28, he said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. He had to be lifted up like that snake. John 12, 32. He says, And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Just like that snake. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. He was put up there on the mountain, Golgotha, Calvary. And everybody saw in all his nakedness and beating and bruising, and he was put up there for all to see. Not only was he put up there, and not only was it absolutely necessary that he be put up there for us to see. What was interesting is that when Moses was told to build the solution and put it there, Moses wasn't told make a golden flower or make a make a cross or make a so make a snake why make a snake because it was that evil sinful thing that needed to be up there that the, everyone sees there's that evil sinful Jesus was spotless he'd done nothing wrong to anybody nothing 
But when he was put up there and raised up, he was raised up like the snake. The sin of man for us all to see. He became our sin. He became our transgression. He became our sickness. He became our, all of those things he became. That's why, you know, when he was there and he was, and he said, my God, my God, you've dep- why have you left me? Why? Because the Father cannot be embracing sin. He turned his back on Jesus. He was never, ever, I mean, from, from John 1, verses 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God through him. He was there right in the beginning. Now, there, there is no beginning, because <laughs> God's timeless. So you go back a million years, you go back a billion, you go back. There's no, uh, he was there in the beginning. He was with God, he was God. Through him, all things were made. He was sinless, spotless, this innocent person. God in the flesh comes to earth for us. He'd never, ever, ever, until that point in time on the cross, ever been cut off from the Father. Never, ever. Never, ever cut off from the presence of God. That magical, wonderful, embracing love, that power, that sureness, that Oneness, the Trinity, three in one. Never, ever. When he was put up there and raised, he became that snake, that sin, and he was cut. God had to turn his back. That was, I think, honestly, for Jesus, harder, worse than the thorns, than the stripes, than the the, the piercing, than the and the betrayal of his disciples, all of that. It was worse than all of that. Because besides all the betrayal and the pain, and he was left on his own. For the first time, and the only time, <laughs> he was separated from the Father. God turned his back. The Father turned his back on him. He said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. <sighs> Now what he did for us, that, that remedy raised up, turned into sin for us. If you go read through Isaiah 53, and you read through the, the phrasing, you, you, you don't get that picture that you, Isaiah 53, verses 3. He was despised and rejected. This is talking about Jesus. A man of sorrow is acquainted with the deepest grief. Jesus was never a man of sorrows. Through all things, he was be cheerful. The storm, he was sleeping in the boat while the disciples were scricking. He was never ever a man of sorrows. And it says here, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. So he's on the cross and we turn our backs on him. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. It wasn't. A punishment for his own sins. It wasn't. Because he was sinless. He was spotless. He wasn't punished by God. He'd done nothing wrong. That was our punishment. Verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion. The rebellion of the Israelites. Moaning and groaning. He, he, He was pierced for our rebellion. He was 
beaten and broken so that we can be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yeah. Hey. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Never, not one. He just took that pain. He took that suffering. He took the whips. He took that cross on his bare bones, bare shoulders. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not even open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. And he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. And he was put in a rich man's grave. <laughs> that was our Lord, <laughs> our Savior. So he became the remedy for our curse, and he took that on for us. And the only thing we need to do, the only thing, is look. Is look and accept. Accept what he's done for us. Accept what he's done on the cross. Take that into our lives. Jesus, you are Lord. You've died for my sins. You've taken that. You've become the curse for me, so I don't have to be that curse. That's what he's done for us. He's taken that away. We just need to have faith in him. Believe. Look to him. Put our eyes on him. Nothing else. He takes it just like that. The result of looking, the last point, was life. He's given us life. Life. We don't deserve it. <laughs> He died. We get life. Imagine that, eh? It's the best lottery ever. <laughs> Everyone goes and puts the money in the tickets and I get the prize. That's what happened. We've got the prize. He paid the price. We got the prize. And the prize is life. What is life? <laughs> Eternity with Christ Jesus. Fellowship, oneness with God restored. Huh? Not the Garden of Eden kicked out, chucked out, we restored. We just have to look and accept. It's an amazing thing that he's given us, this gift of life. Romans 5 verse 17, if we can turn there quick. So, Romans chapter 5 verses 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. Through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. New life. All we need to do is look to him. We just have to accept that gift. And many of us here have done that. We've looked there. Many of us here know people, families, friends who haven't done that. That are being still bitten by the snakes. That are being still poisoned by the snake. That are going to die from the poison because they haven't looked. They haven't looked. And the only way they'll look is if we raise them up. Amen. If we bring Jesus in front of them and we say, look, be saved. We've got to do that, guys. So this morning, I've just got one question. Are we looking at Christ? Are we looking at his resurrection? Are we looking at his crucifixion? What he's given us? Are we looking at our problems? Are we looking at the neighbor and their car? 
Are we looking at the, the politics? What, where is our focus? Is our focus on Christ and what he's given us? Are we raising him up for the world to see? Are we lifting him up as a banner for the world to see him, to know what he's given us and what he's gifted us? So, yeah, it's quite an interesting challenge. Where are you this morning? Where is your eyes? Where's your focus? Have you accepted that gift? Have you accepted that wonderful gift that Jesus has given us? <laughs> freely. Freely. And what we have to do is just accept. Just close our eyes. I'm just going to pray quick.